The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Greetings from the City of Angels. I'm your host, Nick Rigratis, back with another episode of the Liberation Mentor Show. Got a really fun and interesting guest today. But before we dive into the full episode, I just want to remind you guys that if you are looking for an upgrade in your life in any one of the primary areas, your health, wealth, or relationships, I strongly urge you to go get a free copy of my book, Aligned, which you can find at liberationmentor.com forward slash aligned. And uh, I think you'll get a huge amount out of it. I just reread it the other day for a final proofreading. And um, it's something I'm really, really proud of. I just found myself thinking, if only I'd had something like this when I was 20 years old or even 30 years old, it would have saved me from so much pain and helped accelerate my progress in many areas of my life. Also, if you want to try my nootropic formula, the best damn nootropic formula, uh, head on over to 100%.health and you can get a bottle of it there. Remember to use the coupon code podcast and you'll get 15% off. I ugh, There's not enough time for me to get into how great of a product this is. It's, again, something I'm really, really proud of. You guys know me by now. You know that I'm someone who would never offer or promote anything that I didn't really believe in wholeheartedly. And um, BDNF is truly a game changer. If you want to get rid of brain fog, if you want to think more clearly, if you want to be able to create new associations and ideas for business projects or anything like that, give it a try. It's a phenomenal product. So remember those two things. Free copy of my book, Aligned, which is liberationmentor.com forward slash book. Or if you want to try out my nootropic formula, BDNF, head on over to 100%.health. Without further ado, let's dive into the next episode of the show. Hey, brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mental Podcast. I'm here today with an extremely interesting individual. His name is Jimmy Rex, and he's author of You End Up Where You're Heading. I haven't yet read the book, but I've been receiving a lot of good feedback about it. It just launched a couple of days ago, and it's selling well. And just reading the blurb inspired me to want to talk to Jimmy, and it shifted the book all the way to the top of my to-read list. Jimmy, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Nick, it's a pleasure to be on, man. Yeah, man. So let's let's just dive right in with, as I said at the beginning, you're a super interesting dude and uh, you've done a lot of interesting stuff. The thing that jumps out at me is that you have liberated child slaves from their captors. So I want to know, let, let's just start there. Let's just go right to the heart of it all. Yeah, that's kind of the heart of it all. I mean, I, uh, yes, yeah, so I got the chance to work with a couple of really special organizations. There's one called Operation Underground Railroad, another one called the Child Liberation Foundation. And uh, a long story short, about five years ago, I was at a networking meeting and first heard about this group and what they were doing. They basically, there's a guy named Tim Ballard, and he founded the organization. He was working for the CIA and um, Homeland Security and realized that he wasn't able to rescue these kids they would find all the time because they weren't American citizens. You can't just go to Colombia and rescue a Cambodian kid because he's being sex trafficked. And so he set up an organization outside the government to do that. And when I heard about what they were doing, I heard about their first op they did and some of the things right at the beginning of the organization. 
and I just dived all in. It's in the book. I actually talk about, we have these little moments in life that nudge us, right? And these little things where they say, Hey, this is something you need to be a part of something you need to do. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we ignore those nudges. And this one was like a smack in the head. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I, I've been very blessed financially with work and with my career. I am a single guy. I have time, effort, opportunity to go do this. And so, yeah, so I started working with them and have had the chance now to go on. Um, I've been on 11 ops and helped rescue over 100 kids on the ops. I've been on the group itself as, you know, they've rescued several thousand. And it's just kind of getting to the forefront of where everybody's starting to become familiar with this huge issue that's out there. I mean, there's millions of kids in sex trafficking. We, we would fly in to like a resort town in, you know, somewhere in Latin America. And within sometimes as quick as 45 minutes, we could find the head of a sex trafficking rink that wanted to work with us. Sometimes it took us a day or two, but um, working undercover, but we would, I mean, very usually within two to three hours, we could find kids being trafficked and set up rescue operations that quickly. Wow. That is absolutely mind blowing. I want to hear a little bit more about the the actual specifics of it. I mean, are you guys armed or like what kind of, how does the operation work? Yeah. So we were not armed. Um, so before I ever got to go out, I took some fight to kill training, some Krav Maga type stuff for about six months. Unfortunately, when we're in these foreign cities, I mean, well, a very difficult to get guns in, but we work, we have what's called top cover. So the head of the government there, we work with them. So if they don't give us permission, we can't go in. Obviously you can't just go in undercover and, and so we're working together with the local governments, but never on the local stage, uh, the federal only. And so because a lot of these local policemen and things like that are corrupt as well. And then if we won't go into a country unless they have, uh, if they give us the ability to do the aftercare. So we have to have strong aftercare as well, programs set up where these uh, mostly young girls would go once they were rescued. And so once we get that all set up, yeah, we would fly in and you know we would be in touch with the federalities or whoever it was we were working with. And... Uh, kind of let them know where we were going to be. So they would be within a couple minutes, but we didn't want them anywhere near us. I mean, we had the only cover we had from these guys is they just, it's such a lucrative thing for them. And they're used to Americans coming down and doing this. So it's not unusual for them to have Americans come down looking for this. And so the, the cover we had was that they just didn't expect it. They didn't, it was a normal thing for them to, to find, have these Americans coming looking for kids to have sex with. And so we would, you know, try to make sure we had proof uh, of it. We would have to, you know, we had undercover cameras, we do, and, and we get, you know, video, and then we would usually get all their information and those governments. So we did one somewhere in Mexico one time, and within four hours of landing on the flight, we had the biggest trafficking rink in this part of Mexico. We had all their emails, we had their numbers, we had their Facebook, and the federal police told us, he said, he, he said, you bunch of payasos, you bunch of clowns were able to get us more information in a day and a half than we got in 13 months trying to track this. And they were able to tap everybody's phones. They hear all the conversations. They hear how they talk to the girls. They were able to get all these different people. And we had a huge takedown that uh, was a really special op for us. But yeah, so I mean, that's, that's what it is. But like when we meet them, so like that particular, I'll give you one story to kind of give you an idea. We were dealing with three or four little groups. We'd started talking to, you know, what happens, you go down to the beach or the local, where all the local tourists go and you get these street hustlers always come up. If you've ever been to Mexico or Colombia or any of these places, you got these street hustlers will come up and try to sell you marijuana or cocaine or something. And we're like, you know, no, we're actually here for girls and kind of start, you know, starting that conversation. They'll be like, oh, and they usually know a guy and then they'll introduce you 
to that guy. And then that guy introduces you to the trafficker usually. Mm -hmm. And in this particular case, we'd been dealing with like three street hustlers and we found this guy named Acapulco. And uh, I don't know if I can say his name, maybe blip that out. But um, anyway, long story short, when the other two traffickers we've been dealing with heard that we were working with this guy, they both said, we can't work with you then. He kind of runs the thing here. So we're like, okay, perfect. We found the guy. And uh, the next night he called us, um, we were all getting it all set up. And he called us and he said, hey, I want to introduce you to our boss. And we're like, I thought you were the boss. He's like, no, this is my boss. He runs this whole region. And so we met this guy. I mean, he had... SUVs on both sides of this alleyway. He had a gun on him and we're just the four of us just sitting there talking to him and we got three hidden cameras on us and we're negotiating price per girl. And next thing you know, 18 minutes later, we've set up this big event and we ended up doing the takedown a few weeks later and arrested all these guys and freed a bunch of the girls. But it was pretty intense. We got back to the hotel and we called uh, Tim Ballard, who is the founder of OUR. And we were just freaking out because it was so scary to meet this guy. And but two weeks later, we went and did the takedown, and and yeah, it was a very successful mission. That's awesome. I mean, where my mind goes with this is like, I mean, I just want to fuck these dudes up. You want to just grab the dude and curb stomp him, and like, you <laughs> yeah. know, do some proper street street justice, like vigilante style. I guess you don't really get a chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, you have to control yourself because you realize what's on the line, right? And so for us, the way that I'm able to handle it is I just pretend I'm acting. I just pretend it's a movie set and I'm acting, mm -hmm. and that usually works pretty good. But it's, I mean, the stakes are so big, not only for our own lives, but the lives of the kids and everyone we're trying to help out. And so as we do that, you just kind of, we actually, we've, you know, people ask me all the time, they're like, I want to go undercover. I want to be a part of this. And it's like, I don't think you understand. This isn't just something anybody can go do. We took very special training. We're some of the most street savvy guys in the world that go do this together. We read each other's energies. We know what the other person's saying before they say it. I mean, we're very skilled and trained in just in social dynamics. And that's what helps us the most in these situations. So I'm always like, tell people like, well, I appreciate that you want to help, but I have no desire to go with new people now that I have this team that we know how we function and stuff like that. Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, my mind was going to that. Like I'd want to definitely be involved with something like that. But, uh, you know, the travel, I, I'm kind of dialing back my travel a little bit and I probably don't have the skills, even though I'm pretty sure I could learn them. And, and it's well, that's one of those things I have to fall under fantasy uh, as yeah, and that's to the cool thing is there's so many, you know, there's so many people that can help us, you know, in other ways. I mean, awareness um, financially and all these different things to support these organizations. And really, that's just, you know, just be a good person. Just that's the main thing you can do. But really mm -hmm. um, bringing awareness to it and making other people just know that it's going on. It's a real thing. For sure. So, Jimmy, before we talk a little bit more specifically about your book and the the wisdom contained within, um, I just want to give people a little bit of a background on what you've achieved. I think there's, you know, there's this real problem in today's world where there's a lot of people just setting themselves up as experts, <laughs> uh, in particular online, like you go on Facebook and Instagram and everyone's trying to sell you some course on how to succeed in business or how to, you know, do whatever. And usually when you just scratch the surface and look into those people's backgrounds, they haven't really done anything. They're just the guy selling the course, Right. And it's pretty clear that you're not one of those dudes and that you have based what you're doing on real world experience and real world success. So let's just start with your, your real estate career, right? You closed Utah's most expensive home, which was sold for 32.5 million. That's just one of your real estate achievements, which is pretty damn cool. 
but then you also lost it all, which to me is the even more interesting part of the story. You know, you, you climbed the hill, you fell down and then you started climbing another hill and you're almost at the top again. So can you tell me a little bit about that process and, and how it took place? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and you're exactly right. You know, I think I would never take advice from anybody that hasn't been doing whatever they are for at least 10 years and at a high level, right? Because you're just, you don't know what you don't know. So I got into real estate. Well, first I got, I, when I was 21 years old, I started my first company and it was a door to door meat selling business. And, uh, I built that up. We were making a couple thousand bucks a day and I had a partner from the Netherlands and, um, we franchised the company. I was 22, 20, maybe 23. And we'd franchise the company and we were rolling. I thought it was gonna be retired in five years. This thing was going great. And all of a sudden, he disappeared one day when we got a big check come in and, uh, and he disappeared for two weeks, came back, um, wearing the same outfit he, he was wearing when he left and it turned out he was, went on a drug binge and I had no idea. I, in my life, I hadn't been around anybody with a drug addiction at that point. And I had to shut down the business and that's why I got into real estate because I had all this debt now that I need to pay off. And so I started with $120,000 debt. And so when I started in real estate, my back was just up against the wall. And so I came out swinging and I found the right mentor. And my first full year in the business, I sold 60 homes. Year two, I sold 98 homes with one assistant. And uh, I was able to pay off all this debt just in time for the housing market to collapse in 2008, 2009. <laughs> and so I got stuck with two properties that uh, I was renting out one, living in the other one. And I was upside down. I mean, my interest rate on one was 8%. One was six and three quarters to give you an idea. With uh-huh. or today's rates are at it, two and a half. It's almost humorous, but... But so I was losing about a thousand bucks a month on each of these homes, even renting them out. Mm-hmm. So I had to sell them, but I was upside down a hundred grand and a hundred grand and like 60 grand, I think. So I ended up, the bank wouldn't just let me sell them though. Cause I'd made a lot of money the year before I had to take on the debt. So I took a 0% interest loan for these two homes. So as soon as I got paid off the 120 grand debt from the meat company, I was had 160 grand debt from these houses. I no longer owned. It was just empty debt with a 0% interest rate. So paid those off over the next few years. And, uh, but what was really cool about all that is I had to work so hard to get myself out of these holes. And I ended up becoming the number one realtor in my County for the last 15 years. I've been one of the top agents in the state of Utah. And last year, I think I was number one. I, you know, we sold uh, my team with just four of us sold 324 homes and we just hustled our asses off. But yeah, so I got into the coaching teaching space a little bit because I just enjoy that. I really like helping other people do it. I've sold mm-hmm. over 20, hundred houses now. And I realized very quickly, like I actually didn't like that because for me, I knew that people didn't see the struggle and it was really hard for me to teach them what I do now, which is networking, social media, um, working through charities and client events, things like that. And so I wanted to, I, I just couldn't honestly take their money and teach them what I do now because they weren't doing what I did to start, which is what you need first, that base where I was just grinding, grinding, grinding for seven, eight years. And so, yeah, that's kind of my history on that. I was able to, about five years ago, uh, one of my best friends started a company up, this guy by the name of Trevor Milton. And I had, I just knew he was going to pull off this billion dollar company. And I I thought it was the best idea I'd ever heard. And uh, I begged him to take my money. I invested a half a million dollars. And to give you an idea, Nick, it was, I had 425 to my name, including, I had to sell three homes. And then all the money I had was like 425. But he told me if I didn't do at least 500, it wasn't worth his it wasn't worth writing the paperwork. And so I, uh, I borrowed 75 grand from a buddy and gave him a half a million. And that was this part of the seed round for his company. And that company today, Nikola Motors, it's trading. We went public in May. And as of this morning, it's a $17 billion company. So 
kind of because of all that grinding work and that hard work, I've been able to turn that half a million investment into life-changing money. It's been pretty amazing. And so now my kind of whole world has opened up a little bit and super Mm -hmm. excited for the future. But that's kind of my whole history of where I went from broke, broke, broke to where I'm at today, which is really fun place to be and a lot of cool things ahead I know in my life because of those risks that I was willing to take. Yeah. So I had many things come up while you just, when you describe that story, the first is a question, which is, do you think that failure is an essential ingredient in the recipe for success? Oh, hundred percent. And it's not even the failure itself. It's the willing to be able to fail, right? Like if you aren't willing to fail, then you're just not going to take risks big enough to actually get ahead. You know, I, did I lose on those houses the first time around? I did. But when it came time to invest in my buddy's company, I sold three houses that I'd made a couple hundred grand on. Cause I, you know, if I got paralyzed by investing in real estate, because the first couple went bad, I would have never bought the next ones. If I never bought those, I would have never had the money or the ability to buy into his company and, and sell those. And so you have to be able to fail. Like all the stuff that I learned, like I have so much honor and pride for the me in my twenties. Like I was just trying, bless my little heart. I was failing my ass off, but I just kept failing and kept failing and one thing after another. And the lessons I was learning, I was getting a lifetime education every single year. I felt like, but eventually, you know, all of a sudden you just feel like you're never getting ahead, never getting ahead, never getting ahead. Every time I'd get ahead, I'd fail again. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like just all these things would start happening. And, and that's what makes it all worth it, right? Is, like, is having yeah, gone through that struggle, right? Yeah. Cause you appreciate it so much. That's why it's so hard yeah. for me to see today, all these people that want stuff handed to them or they want to have, you know, like their loans forgiven and they want all these different things. It's like, that's great. Like I can get you in a helicopter and fly to the top of, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro, but you're not going to have any, you're not going to get the gift of actually climbing that thing. You know, like it's, it, you can try to, take the easy route on this stuff, but there's so much honor and there's so much self pride. Like I, when COVID hit, I literally didn't have one day where I worried about it. Like the things I've gone through and the things I've gotten through, nothing worries me. I became an asset. I know how to survive anything bad that happens. So I'm just not worried about it. And, and, And that's, I think the part that a lot of people miss is wanting the reward without the, without the work that has to go into getting that. I love that line you just mentioned. I became the asset. I've never heard that before, but if it if it's describing what I think it is, yes, it that's is. absolute gold, right? Yeah. Well, people say, you know, Tony Robbins, I kind of stole that from him a little bit. It's a, he says it a little different, but he, you know, he says people come up to him all the time and they're like, Tony, I want to be you. I want to do what you're doing. And he goes, don't you guys understand? Like I built this motherfucker. Like, you know, I just love yeah. that. It's, it's such a good line. For sure. I, I totally get it. Like there's a, a story I'm fond of relating. Um, you know, more I look back on, you know, as you get older, you start to look back on your, your, your youth a lot and, and see what influenced you. And for me, there was this particular little children's book and it was the story of the, the little red hen. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, uh, not really, no. So, so the little red hen, she says like, uh, the little red hen is in the farmyard. She's walking around. She's like, I want to bake a cake. So she says, who will help me gather the wheat to grind the flour? Uh, and then the, the cow goes, not I, <laughs> says the cow. Not I, says the pig, not I, says the horse. And so she goes to gather the wheat by herself. And then she says, who will help me grind this wheat to flour? And not I, says the horse, not I, says et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it goes through all these steps that require her to make the cake. And then once the cake's made, she says, who will help me eat the cake? And then all of a sudden the cow's like, I'll help you eat it. The horse says, I'll help you eat it. And then she's like, basically says, fuck you to all of them, which <laughs> I really, really appreciated. So you've said something um, 
which is that I think this forms a, a large part of your book, which is that we're all born as curious explorers, but life turns us into safe-seeking settlers. And this I absolutely love because I've seen this in people so many times and it is so disappointing to me when I, when I see close friends who just, you know, they're so desperate to be safe or to, to they choose security over everything. And that yes. includes adventure yes. and it includes life itself, right? It includes living itself. They would rather just sit there in their little bubble and not, not seek out. And I saw a really cool meme a few years ago, which, which said something along the lines of, we navigate cautiously through life so we can make it safely to the grave. And that to me really sums it up, right? Like, what is the security trying to do for you? It's just helping you get to your death, right? Safely. Well, it is. And Tim Ferriss has a quote. He says, people will choose unhappiness over uncertainty. And they just will. It's crazy. right? And there's another quote. I think he says something along the lines of like, the amount of uncertainty you're willing to deal with in life will determine the quality of your life. Like all of the reward, all the passion of life comes in the uncertainty, all the funness, all the, and so the more you're able to embrace it, the more likely you are to have just an interesting, fun life. And so many people get paralyzed by this. What could happen? What if, what if? And, you know, I actually put on my Instagram today, the, the quote from the book that I just wrote, it says, embrace uncertainty as delight instead of danger. <laughs> and if you can truly do that, it just makes it so easy to actually go for your dreams and go for your goals and do things like that. But if you get paralyzed and get caught up in this, what if game, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why I'm wired the way I am or what gift I had to allow me to do this. But ever since I was a little child, I always said, I said, I would rather be anything than bored. I'd rather be in pain. I'd rather be you, whatever. I'd rather be sad. I'd rather be anything than bored. And so I've just always gone out of my way to try to create an interesting life. And I'm willing to accept, you know, most of the pain we have in life comes from this expectation of what our life is supposed to look like. And a lot of the times it's not even our own expectation. It's the expectation that somebody put on us. Mm -hmm. And if you can truly kill yourself of anything that your life needs to look like. Like obviously you have your goals and vision for your life, but the expectation of it needing to go a certain way, if you can just embrace the messiness of life, there's so much beauty in that. And I don't have bad days because I kind of embrace the mess. I embrace the beauty of the mess. I'm like, wow, this is going to be fun. Like I'm going (laughs) to, there's going to be so much craziness that comes out of this. And even in that moment of pain, you're able to go, you know what? I'm enjoying this. Like I like where this is going. For sure. I mean, the analogy I think of often is is movies and video games, right? That's part of the fun and the enjoyment you get out of consuming those those forms of entertainment is that you go watch a movie and you kind of have an idea of what it's about, but you don't know exactly what's going to happen in every scene, right? It's the same with a video game. Like if you know exactly, if you, if you beat the game, you don't really want to play it again because you're certain of what's going to happen, right? So if you look at your life as, as you being analogous to the star of, of the movie, you know, you're the star of your own life, and realize that you don't have control over every scene, right? You do have some some extent of control, but there's other things at play. And, and I just find that that's a way cooler way to, to go through the human experience. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, so Jimmy, tell me a little bit about the chart framework that you you use to help people become, you know, get back to that place where they're explorers and, and less safe-seeking settlers. Yeah, so there's, I think the first thing that you have to do is kind of truly you have to build up your confidence in this thing. So you have to have little wins. So what I tell people is do little things every day that you will see that this uncertainty has a reward. Go talk to a random stranger. Like to some people, that is the most terrifying thing you can do. Just go up and start a conversation with somebody like, and try to think of yourself and just go, you know what? 
this conversation, I'm never going to see this person give, give them a fake name, even whatever. Just go up and be curious about people and things. And then I tell people one of the best mentors I ever had, a guy by the name of Woody Woodward. And he told me, he said, hey, one thing we're going to do is we're going to make you uncomfortable because it's been a long time since you've been uncomfortable. So he would make me go like on a work day at like three in the afternoon by myself to a matinee movie. Like just like <laughs> things that just made me so uncomfortable. I'm like, what if somebody sees me? All these thoughts. And then all of a sudden you do it and you kind of like, man, I really enjoyed spending the day with me. Like I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you, he says, all right, now you're going to go on a trip by yourself. I'd go do it. And then he say, now go with a group that you don't know anyone there and go do this or whatever. I just, I purposely put myself in uncomfortable situations because so many rewards always come out of them. I, I can't tell you how many groups I've joined for a random trip when I see it on somewhere. I go for a, I don't know, like some hiking group or whatever it might be. And you just meet these amazing humans. And you realize this, there's so much beauty out there. And so I just, the first thing I tell people is to start doing those little things that make you uncomfortable. And you'll start to see, hey, you know what? Like there was a big reward there. I met something, somebody really cool. And be curious about all things. And that's kind of the first step. And then from there, ask yourself this one question. It's the question I ask everybody I meet with that I coach. I say, if everything were to go right in your life for the next five years, what would your life look like? And if you get some clarity around that and you get a why big enough, why you want those things, then all of a sudden you start to take more risks because you go, okay, you're not going to get there doing what you're doing today. If you truly want this thing that in five years from now, what are some risks you would have to take to go get it? And then I, mm -hmm. I say like, well, let's go, let's give them a shot. And because the universe has a way of rewarding people that take chances. Like even if you fall on your yeah. face, like when I was younger, I did a TV show when I was 21 and I lost money, but everybody was like, oh my gosh, this guy's doing this TV show. It was hilarious. It was just a stupid thing I decided to do. And I had my meat company. I lost all my money. And I was like, and, but people were like, this guy's just doing stuff. And then all of a sudden I'd go on these trips and start working with these. And people just, I saw how it attracted people to me because they wanted to be around somebody that kind of made them feel alive. And so I sure. felt like if I can keep this youthful energy, if I can just go do these things, I'm going to attract all the right people I want in my life. And so, mm -hmm. I don't know. For me, I think that's a few key things that I think anybody can do that's a good start. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm reminded of um, two things. The first is the Terrence McKenna quote, which is that nature loves courage. When you said the universe rewards you know, people who, who take risks, and I, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. I've seen it proven true in my own life many, many times. And then I was also thinking of that. There was a Jim Carrey film. The name escapes me, but... Basically, the premise of the film is that he just decided one day to say yes to everything, right? Yes to every request. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I've, I've never been disappointed when I've agreed to something that, if, that feels like someone invites me out to, like you said, a hike or someone invites me out to a party. Or I remember I, I met my wife. Um, I was in LA and uh, this guy called me up and said, uh, I didn't even know him. He was a friend of a friend. So I was in San Francisco. I was on my way to LA. And my buddy in San Francisco said, look, you should hang out with my friend in LA. He's a really cool dude. So when I arrived there, I messaged him and I was like, hey, bud, I'm Nick. We have a mutual friend. And he was like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. Why don't you come meet me in Westwood, which is downtown, which is a part of LA. And yeah. I remember like, I didn't really feel like it because I didn't know the dude. And like, I was like, mm, you know, like I, there was resistance. I was like, I could just chill in my Airbnb and watch something on Netflix, you know? But something told me like, no, no, just say yes, just say yes. And, you know, I met my wife that day. Uh, you know, on that on that that trip, right? Or when I, I went to meet this guy, yeah. So it, yeah. to me, like, there's there's something really powerful about just having that that on. It's like an on switch of your life, right? Like you say yes, you switch on, right? 
And I, I'm, it's really cool to see a guy like you who's really taking it to its zenith. I was I'm actually speaking specifically about your, when I say chart framework, I, I meant the C-H-A-R-T, which is changing your mind, adapting your body, revealing your heart and transmitting uh, transmuting your soul or trans, transmitting your soul. I, th- I thought that was a really cool framework. Can you tell me how you came up with that and, and could you dive a little bit more into those, those four specific components? Yeah, so it kind of follows the hero's journey, which is, you know, Joseph Campbell wrote about this. And it's kind of any, the story of any, essentially anybody that's ever, any story that you've heard of from Harry Potter to Star Wars and everything in between kind of follows this, this pattern where, you know, you got the first step, which is to go out into the frontier, right? Like kind of like, okay, we're going to explore what's out there. And then you come across the road of trials. And then it comes to that point where you got to cross the bridge. You got to really make that decision if you're going to do it or not. Uh, and then eventually you find mentors along the way, right? The guides that help you uh, from there. Yeah. Exactly. And from there, as you go through the trials, then you, all of a sudden you, you know, you come into the cave, which is kind of where you have to go in and look within yourself, which is kind of the hardest part because this is where, you know, and this person knows all your weaknesses, all your uh, insecurities. It's yourself. You got to go in and kind of dive into yourself and figure out what you need to do. And, um, mm-hmm. and then from there, you climb the mountain and, you know, once you get to the top, it's not just over. You have to, on your way back down, you now have to share the information and you have to find the next adventure and you keep going. So the book kind of follows this and it's kind of those, that chart work of those things. But so we kind of broke it down just to make it simpler for people to understand what those are. But overall, I mean, I guess like the message for anybody that if you're, if you find yourself anywhere in life where everyone's somewhere on this path and Unfortunately, we get stuck. So what the book's designed to do is to give you a, a framework, like you said, where you go, okay, where am I on, this, on my path right now in regards to this thing? And what, what is coming next? And so I give a couple examples of people from my life and examples of my own life of how I got through each stage. And you know, there's certain things that have to do with your body, certain things that have to do with your soul, um, and certain things that have to do with your mind. And as you can do these things you go up the mountain and then you find the next one and then you find the next one. And so it's really designed to help you, I guess, for, get that nudge that you're waiting for, or be able to help you get out of the, you know, 80% of the people are just living and they're just kind of taking what comes and they're scared and they, they, they sure. wonder where their next thing's going to come from. But what I try to help people understand is you are the author of your own life. Like you mm-hmm. get to design this thing, however you want it to look. And so if you're willing to do the work and you're willing to follow this pathway, you can be the hero of your own story. And that's really the ultimate, I think, if I could sum it up in one sentence is learn how to be the hero of your own story. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate the I appreciate that the hero's journey is something we've actually um, discussed in great depth on this show. So I'm sure the listeners will be very familiar with it. But I, I wanted to dive a little bit more deeply into two components of that that framework, specifically the revealing your heart and transmitting your soul. Because that sounds good to me you know, but I, it also has a little bit of a, a tinge of the kind of like woo woo out there stuff. And I, I know you've got some practical examples or some practical advice on, or you are able to describe those things in a, in a more realistic way. Could you do that for me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so revealing your heart is, so the, one of the examples I use from the book, again, revealing your heart is kind of part of that going into the cave and kind of finding out like truly what your life is going to look like. So for me, I grew up in a very religious household in my whole life. You know, I went to church. I went on a mission for this group for two years from age 19 to 21. Um, this was my whole life, my whole life. I thought I knew where I came from, where I was going and what my whole purpose was here. But 
something always felt a little bit off to me. And I always just felt like there was something different that I wasn't really, I don't know, experiencing. And I remember the first time, because I was all in on this thing. It was my whole life. It was everything to me. And I, I was 31, 32 years old. And I asked myself for the first time the question. Some things just kept filling off. And I said, I need to be open to the idea that maybe there's something more. And my heart was guiding me. It was telling me, you know, like, there is some different things. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do is I kind of stepped into this, the cave, essentially, and I had to go in there and find out what my truths were. Like, is this my moral compass? Do I truly believe this? Is this why do I? And I, you know, I spent a year trying to figure out what my life was going to be all about. And as sure as I was that that was the only way to live, I was that sure that it wasn't. And that was a really difficult thing to do. I probably put in 800 to 1000 hours. And when I came out of it, I was, you know, for a while, there was like getting your legs knocked out from under you, you don't really know what your base is anymore. And I had to come up for, you know, what my life was going to be about, and it was going to be my own and everything. And so it's, it's a lifetime journey to figure this out. But as far as like, I have had so many blessings. And so it's my life has been so blessed, because I did this work, it would have been a much easier not to it would have been, I should have probably turned around, but I just couldn't, I needed to know what this was going to mean for me. And because of that, the people I've been able to meet, the places I've been able to go, the experiences I've been able to have, have just been a hundred times what I could have expected had I not taken that really painful and uh, laborious uh, adventure of trying to figure out what my life was going to be all about. And so that's kind of one example I use in the book. There's a guy by the name of Sean Whalen I talk about in the book where kind of he, in his 20s, set up this really successful real estate company and was making millions of dollars, had all the cars, the house, the family and everything else. But he was miserable. He was working 80 hours a week and he was lying to everybody about kind of how good his life was. And, you know, from the outside, it looked like this guy was the man. And, but inside he was, he was dying a little bit more every day. And so he essentially went in and tore himself out and really had to humble himself. He had failed to a point where he had a pistol in his mouth and ended up really deciding that he needed to speak his truth. And so instead of trying to look good or try to tell people that his life was okay, he started just being raw, true, honest, like I'm scared. Here's my insecurities. Here's where I have issues. I'm suicidal. And when he was able to finally look at his life that way, he was, he said it was the most freeing thing he's ever felt. He, for the first time felt like he didn't have this huge baggage he was carrying. And from there, he was able to put his life back together where now he's one of the most successful influencers in the country. He's got a multi-million dollar company and, and, but he's spends all this time just doing what he wants and truly um, owning his truth. And he's created a little bit of a tribe because there's so many men in that same position that are just afraid to talk about their insecurities or afraid to talk about the things that aren't working in their lives. And they're always trying to front and they have fake relationships and fake friendships and all these other things. And so his example in the book is one of my favorite ones as far as that goes, because it really, and I'm using examples instead of just telling you like, uh, you know, like an academic would, I like to use story to tell um, different points. But that's one of the things that people seem to like about the book is I use these real life examples without making you wrong about the way you've been doing it. It simply shows you kind of how others have been able to get through these parts of their life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that that's fascinating. I love hearing sto- or reading stories because, you know, as human beings, that's we have this hard wiring within us to to resonate with stories. And as I said at the beginning of the show, I'm, your book has jumped right to the top of 
my reading list. So I want to ask you a difficult question because I feel that you're going to give a great answer or I feel that you can take it based on the kind of person you've demonstrated yourself to be. You clearly got your shit together. You're at a a great point in your life. Things are on the up and up for you. And there's this good positive momentum and energy um, moving forwards. But if you're honest with myself and the listeners, where are you not doing well right now in your life? Where are you struggling? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a question I'm happy to answer. So one of the things I'm always doing is looking at my life and saying, where, you know, if you got eight to ten parts of your life, you got spiritual, you got mental, you got family, you got friends, uh, you got romantic relationship, you've got mental, all these different things. And right now, to be honest with you, I have uh, I'm about twenty pounds heavier than I want to be, and I have not been able to put it back off yet. I kind of relax with the coronavirus. And I hired my nutritionist a month and a half ago, and it's not going like it did the last time. <laughs> I'm kind of, <laughs> and I haven't yeah. been motivated. It all goes back to this same thing, right? We're either motivated by pleasure or pain. And right mm-hmm. now, the pain of not eating the food I want or going out with my friends and doing these things is not as good as the pain of my. I mean, I play red light, green light. Like I, it's fine, but it's not where I want to be. And. I need to essentially get my why big enough and I don't have one currently. And so I need to get my why big enough that I really double down on what I'm doing health wise and all those things. And so that's been, if I'm being honest, I I've been trying for about four to six weeks to kind of get it back. And it, I don't think I've lost a pound. So it's, uh, <laughs> I've been not, I've not been doing a good job at it. Sure. No, I completely understand. How old are you, Jimmy? I'm 38. Yeah. So look, I'm going to be straight up with you. Your, your metabolism slows down big time in your, in your mid-30s, as I'm sure you've, you're well aware. And what I've found after, you know, I was a personal trainer for a long, long time. I've studied nutrition and, and diet in great depth. And what I've realized is it, after your mid-30s, the only way that really works that I've found is intermittent fasting, which is probably not what you want to hear. But <laughs> you know, it, to be honest, I called my buddy the other day. I've got some buddies that have you know, I got my one buddy, uh, um, it's wrote a book about, uh, keto and I have another buddy that, you know, I have several buddies that have done very well with the intermittent fasting. And I told him, I said, all right, I think that's what I'm going to have to do. What does this thing look like? So I'm just mm-hmm. bracing my, I got a couple of vacations <laughs> coming up. And as soon as those are over, I think that's what I need to do though, is the, uh, the intermittent fasting. I'm actually excited to do it. I'm kind of, I went from like, Oh, I'm going to have to do something different to like, I'm kind of getting excited now. Cause I turned 40 next October and one of my big 10 goals in my life is to have 8% body fat on my 40th birthday. And I'm probably around 20% right now. So it's nowhere near where I need to be, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start doubling down next year is going to be all about the health. I got my finances where I want. I got my relationships where I want. And the health piece is going to be my, my biggest piece going forward uh, next year to get to that 8%. I will hit that on my 40th birthday. I, I have no doubt that you will, you will dominate in that aspect of your life or that area of your life, like you've done in all others. Jimmy, it's been fascinating speaking to you. If those listening want to find out more about you or read your book, where's the best place for them to head? Yeah, follow me on Instagram is probably the best because I always, you know, I post everything I have going on on my stories and my my Instagram is Mr. Jimmy Rex. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And then uh, the book is on Amazon. If you just type my name in, Jimmy Rex, it will come up or you you can just type in, uh, you end up where you're heading, the hidden dangers of living a safe life. Uh, And yeah, I honestly, I'm super proud of this book. It's already hit bestseller on a couple of things. Like I said, I, I know people will love it. It will change your life if you read it. I, I would highly recommend. We actually discounted on Kindle if people just want to get the cheap version. But if you want a physical copy in your hand, it also comes out on Audible at the end of the month. So you can download it and just listen to it. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Really appreciate you. 
Thank you, Nick. Keep uh, kicking butt, man. Do a great job. What a cool dude. What a cool dude. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I was not expecting... I was not expecting that at all. I thought um, Jimmy would be a little bit like uh, more of a business guy, which he, he obviously is, but I've really got some deep insights from him on... He seemed pretty open and vulnerable and had some, some uh, interesting things to say on the nature of the human experience and some things that have paralleled my experience over the last few years and um, thoroughly appreciated that. Guys, just a reminder, go get a copy of my book aligned at liberationmentor.com forward slash book. Everyone who's read it has thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I think you guys will too. Also check out BDNF, the best damn nootropic formula at 100%.health. Use coupon code podcast at checkout to get 15% off. I will speak to you guys again with another episode soon. Until next time, keep the faith.